The Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, one big score and a shot at retribution. Fit the pieces to solve an assassination plot and history in the remaking. Plus, we continue our ongoing audiobook serialization of Timothy Zahn's Cobra, all right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It's a pleasure to have you along. I am Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David F. Shirod. Today, we bring you DJ Butler's interview with Michael Z. Williamson about Target Terror, a collection of three military adventure novels out now in trade paperback and ebook formats. But first, the news. This July, we've got a science fiction heist, a noir-tinged mystery set in the heart of a galactic empire, and an alternate history novel from a master, all in hardcover or trade paperback, and all available now. First up is The Icarus Plot by Timothy Zahn. There wasn't much money to be made as a trailblazer, searching out new worlds for possible development. Still, it was safer than the bounty hunter career that had cost Gregory Rourke his left arm six years ago. And thanks to his Cadolian partner, Celine's ultra-sensitive sense of smell, they occasionally discovered a medically promising seed or spore they could sell under the table. It was a quiet life, uneventful and mostly legal. Until Rourke was approached by two men with a proposal, track down a mysterious woman named Tara, and through her locate a secret project called Icarus. The challenge was intriguing. The unlimited budget was tempting. But Rourke had a more personal reason to accept the job. The chance for long-delayed payback. Next, we have The Jigsaw Assassin by Catherine Acero. Soleil City is the capital of the Emerialate and one of the most desired locales of the Scolian Empire. But its thin veneer of civilization is cracked when a series of brutal crimes implicates those in political power in a vast conspiracy. Three prominent scientists have lost their lives to a serial killer, and notes at the scenes of the crimes lead to a connection to the royalist political party. Major Bajan, former military officer turned private detective, is called back to Soleil City to solve the crime. Baj and her crew of undercity dust knights plunge into the Byzantine world of imperial politics, a jigsaw world where none of the pieces seem to fit. As the assassination plot becomes more and more convoluted, Baj is kidnapped, threatened with death, and must fight for her life against the growing number of people threatened by her investigation. Baj has faced all this and more, but now she must deal with something far deadlier, interstellar politics. And finally, it's 1812, The Rivers of War by Eric Flint. In this alternate history of the American frontier in the Jacksonian era, a small change takes place in the Battle of the Horseshoe Bend during the War of 1812. Unlike in our world, Ensign Sam Houston is not seriously wounded, which allows him to continue fighting the British and develop his close relationship with Andrew Jackson much sooner. 
Houston organizes a defense of the U.S. Capitol that prevents the British from destroying it and makes him a national hero. He then plays a central role in the defense of New Orleans under Jackson's command, changing the course of that battle in ways that will, over time, transform the relationship between the United States, the Indian tribes of the South, and the slaves brought over from Africa. That's The Icarus Plot by Timothy Zahn, Jigsaw Assassin by Catherine Acero, and 1812 The Rivers of War by Eric Flint. And that's it for the news. Now DJ Butler talks to Michael Z. Williamson about Target Terror. Hi, this is uh, DJ Butler. I'm here with Mike Williamson to talk about his new novel. Well, it's not a new novel. It's a reprint omnibus, right? Uh, Target Terror. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. It is out now in trade paperback and all your favorite ebook formats. DRM free when you buy at Bain.com, uh, as always. Um, oh, whoops, got to pull this up here now. I got, uh, I got all, I got all jumbled up in our efforts to connect um sorry there we go uh michael z williamson is retired military having served 25 years in the u.s army and the u.s air force he was deployed for operation iraqi freedom and operation operation desert fox williamson is a state-ranked competitive shooter in combat rifle and combat pistol all this is very interesting background by the way for target terror he has consulted on military matters, weapons, and disaster preparedness for Discovery Channel and Outdoor Channel Productions, and is editor-at-large for Survival Blog, with 300,000 weekly readers. In addition to these activities, Williamson tests and reviews firearms and gear for manufacturers. Williamson's books set in his Freehold universe include Freehold, Better to Beg Forgiveness, and Do Unto Others. His novel, The Hero, written in collaboration with New York Times bestselling author John Ringo, has reached modern classic status. Williamson was born in England, raised in Liverpool and Toronto, Canada, and now resides near Indianapolis with his wife and children. Uh, Mike, hey, welcome to the uh, radio hour. So, um, okay, so we mentioned a little bit, um, this is an omnibus reprint. Mm -hmm. So I don't know the publication history. Tell me when when did these books first come out and were they they banned books? Uh, so the, the, the setting is 2004, 2005. That's when they were written and that's where they're set. Um, and technology has tr- advanced tremendously in the war zone since then. So but that is the, uh, the time and place. I'd uh, sold Freehold. I think I was talking to John and Jim Bain about the weapon. And um, Bill Fawcett had an idea for a contemporary trilogy. He had uh, a publisher, he had background, he basically works as a sub-editor, and um, was at a convention on a panel, and someone said he was trying to look me up, and uh, he asked writing about sniping. Now, sniping is a variety of skills, not just shooting. Uh, As far as shooting, I beat them in competition, Um, but there's a lot more to it than just shooting. It's intelligence gathering, it's um, placement, it's um, analysis of the environment, a whole bunch of skills. But I know enough about shooting. Um, I uh, teamed up with uh, photographer Oleg Volk, who's done a couple of my book jacket photos and a couple of others for Bain. And we went down to uh, uh, um, Fort Benning 
and actually talked to the commander of the sniper school and watched some of them in training in the field, um, got some photos and used that as additional background. Uh, so it's a trilogy. The first one is set, uh, it's in on the Pakistan side of the Afghan border. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, the U.S. has never officially crossed uh, national borders to uh, engage in that. So I'm sure we never actually did either. <laughs> Just like we never went into Cambodia during uh, Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, it's tribal warfare. And uh, I, I don't know if, it, if stuff like this had made the news at the time, but it certainly did later that a lot of those tribes were using the U.S. to settle their differences. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, the bad guys right there. He's Al-Qaeda. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of guys still stuck at uh, Guantanamo from circumstances like that. Uh, and uh, depending on the circumstances, they can't go back because their home countries will execute them. So yeah. but, uh, that, that's the first one. The second one is... Hold on, uh, hold on. let me... This mm -hmm. is good, but let me, uh, let me sure. ask some questions here. So I like your point. We actually, in the opening scenes, right, kind of makes this point that sniping is not just shooting. Right. Uh, because we're in a training scenario and you know, there's like, there's spotting and there's stealth elements going on, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and it's also not just a solo activity, right? This is sort of a key part of the back. Usually a spotter sniper team, yeah. yeah. I, um, when I was active duty, I, I worked as an aggressor some of the time and we'd, you know, infiltrate the field and train the unit in training in the field. Uh, so I, I've done some slow, lengthy, stalks and got inside the perimeter so that's you the know, guy who's on his the so i'm we're at the sniper school watching these kids it's like so you're evenly spaced and you're all taking the same line once they see one of you they're going to see all of you uh <laughs> you, you've got to be dispersed um and, and on the one hand you've got a time frame and uh on, on where you've got to get in but at the same time, you don't want to rush because the more movement there is, the more likely you are to attract attention. Yeah. And, uh, so all of that is relevant to both training and to the actual events. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the backstory, right? The backstory is Kyle Monroe, who's our, our who's the shooter, right? Mm -hmm. uh, has lost um, uh, his former... Lost a spotter in a previous mission. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay, so let's talk about him a little bit and explore book one maybe a little bit more. Um, so, so tell us about Kyle Monroe. What should we know about this guy? Boy, it's been a long time. <laughs> I wrote these uh, almost 20 years ago. Um, yeah, he's uh, highly trained. And um, of course, a lot of the training I don't have. So I had to allude to some of it. I, you know, there's stuff I can go into detail about and there's stuff where like, well, I actually haven't done that. No, that's why it's fiction. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, he lost uh, a, uh, his uh, spotter in a previous mission. He's rather ate up. Uh, yeah. And they're both trying to get him back into the field and they need his technical expertise. Yeah. And, so, you know, and they, you know, they believe they're eliminating uh, enemies of us. And it turns out initially that it's enemies of various tribes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's an instructor at the school. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I like he's got this kind of um, you know this um, he's had this uh, loss right mm -hmm. but he, that doesn't make him uh, at all reluctant when they come to him and say the general calls him in and 
they sh- they bond over their shared feeling about formal uniforms and uh <laughs> and and he, he you know they say hey we want you to go in there and mm-hmm. this al-qaeda number three i think is basically the yeah that al-qaeda yeah the concern is more for uh the um students while he's acting as an instructor and for his uh yeah. spotter while they're in the field yeah you know, yeah he's about himself yeah i think there's a tendency you know um uh maybe more maybe 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 i'm maybe i think about hollywood here but there's a tendency to sort of portray our soldiers sometimes as as damaged goods you know and if you had an experience where you're or as clueless oh they have no idea why they're doing this uh or, yes they're clueless. a bunch of us had plenty of right knowledge training study research on what we we're doing yeah and he's neither one of those right he's right. Had, had a hard experience but he he gets right yeah. in the battle when it's time to saddle up. Yeah, that's Hollywood, and it's a lot of mainstream fiction. I, I've always hated it because, you know, I, from a young, you know, I knew I was why I was in the military. You know, part of it was because I needed to mature. I was not ready for college. Uh, part of it was to get away from home, and you know, part of it was patriotic duty. I mean, there was, you know, everybody's got a reason or multiple reasons why they're serving. Right. It's not just why well, have nothing better to do. Right. And there's almost no one like that, and they don't stick around long. Right. <laughs> The soldier who's a chump or a victim. Uh, <clears throat> they find a reason or they get out. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I like the scene where uh, right up front again, he says, uh, um, uh, they say, hey, we're going to, you know, we got to learn some languages. And he says, oh, right. It'll be Arabic, right? I can get, brush my Arabic. I mean, well, no, probably not. <laughs> yeah, no. It's going to be Pashto, but actually it's going to be the uh, Pakistani <laughs> dialect of uh, uh, Pukto, I think, or uh, mm-hmm. Right, Pacto, Pacto. Yeah. yeah, I know. Um, I know some. Uh, they're not native speakers, but they're they're in Pakistan. And they do speak it. So, yeah. so, um, so there is an element of lack of information here, right? It's not this mm-hmm. corrupt higher ups are manipulating this guy. It's that we have uh, bad information about maybe who the target is and why we're why sure. We're, and. We're, uh, you know, in the, especially in the beginning phases of any war, there's a lot of that. It's like, well, who do we send? What do we do? <laughs> yeah. um, the, uh, the military is usually very trained for the previous war. Yeah. You know, whatever the previous war was, they, they've built a doctrine, they've built plans. Yeah. And, and there was also a tendency at that time, we were very ready for a Cold War yeah. you know, to go hot. Because that's an easy war to plan for. You can know what the enemy's capabilities are. It looks good when you're being examined, reviewed, etc. And then here comes a bunch of uh, reasonably high-tech uh, thugs hiding out among a bunch of uh, primitive tribesmen. Yeah. So this is a total. How do you get to them? What do you do? This is not a war anyone had actually planned for. <clears throat> and they, they had to put plans together in a hurry yeah so um so i want to get to the other books in a second here but like what are you know um i mean the book's been out for 20 years right so what what, mm-hmm. are, what are some of the uh kind of situations uh now that the 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 spot his spotter gets assigned a spotter so this is yep. sort of, not a buddy comedy but it's in you know it's right it's two guys consistently um over the stories mm-hmm. uh, and his spotter is black which means he stands out in large chunks of the world other yeah. than america yeah uh, in, including among uh afghan and mm-hmm. uh, pakistani tribesmen yeah yeah 
so okay so that's interesting so yeah. so uh it's like a uh you know what kind of hijinks ensue what are some of the other hijinks that ensue over the border in pakistan there um well the group they were with uh had uh one goal in mind and that it, they were uh they eventually meet up with a different tribe of course everything over there is tribal uh, there's, uh there was a, a doonesbury including you know Iraq all the way over through the stands to parts of China. There was a Doonesbury joke about it years ago about how um, uh, I, I know this person, he is a Sunni scum. Well, the CIA wants him alive. Well, that may not be possible. I'm sworn to vengeance. For what? A member of his family killed a member of my family. When? 1392. <laughs> what is the matter with you people? <laughs> but uh, there is a, a large element of that. And, uh, you know, from a, when I was over there in um, the Iraq, Kuwait area, we were doing uh, maintenance and support. And uh, in Kuwait, we had excellent contractors. In Iraq, they were always a friend or associate or relative of the mayor. Okay. And you just had to double check their work. You, oh, well, no, he's, he's a very good electrician. He doesn't know which wires to hook up. Well, the, the mayor says he's a very good electrician. There's lots and lots of that. Um, you know, favorites backstabbing like long long as somebody gets paid off uh so and um you know so all of that enters into it there they meet up with one group they're supposed to meet with another group um they're on the wrong side of the border for the war officially uh they're trying to bag someone they wind up you know they're they're <clears throat> really out it really should have been a lot more than two people and you know you know part of my concern was that a mission like this should be a much bigger operation. But at the same time, I could see them trying to do something very low-key and stealthy and getting some details wrong and having issues. I mean, there's lot, there lots of times where this any kind of operation, this totally wasn't planned. <laughs> Nobody actually knew what they were doing here, but they had to do something. So, Yeah, there was an opportunity. We, we know right. why is we want to kill... Yeah. And uh, yeah, one of the comments up front is, hey, isn't this, the, I mean, this is this is addressed, right? Hey, isn't this something that uh, mm -hmm. Delta or, um, I forget who the other were. Uh, or the SEALs or, or the, yeah. other groups, yeah. That shouldn't they be doing? And, and mm -hmm. you know, the comments will something like, well, they're, they're getting too much attention right now. You know, we, mm -hmm. we have this opportunity. We, we need to do this a little quietly. Mm -hmm. So um, so it's going to be you. Mm-hmm um yeah now now is that choice uh because you could have written a story about you know a seal team right yeah. bill handed me um a rough um scenario uh, location characters and i wrote it from there yeah oh, okay yeah so it was it was conceived as as being you know kind of two guys that's that's right part of it. Mm -hmm. yeah um all right interesting mm -hmm. so uh and uh okay so now that's very much global war on terror uh mm -hmm. um you know afghanistan pakistan um book two then we go in some slightly different places it's in romania mostly yeah mm -hmm. uh not vampires though this is all no I, we're saying this is there's no uh no no actual vampires however many references to vlad the impaler we get well, they wind up under one of his castles. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, was, I actually found photos 
of um, that castle, and there was an elevator from the castle to the passages underneath that uh, show up in the book. And when I looked at the photos, the wiring was relatively recent. So it, it, ha it had been in use. Yeah. You know, for, for something. Okay, why, why is there THHN wire on an elevator that theoretically hasn't been used in decades? <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So, mm -hmm. so is the castle, uh, well, well, okay, so we'll ask this question, then get back to the mm -hmm. story. But so is the castle, the castle's a real castle, but is it abandoned yes. in, in real No, it's, it's, um, it's accessible to tourists, certain parts of it are. And just like any side, you know, parts are locked off either mm. for safety, security, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, but someone's uh, using the elevator, apparently. Yeah, well, they're tracking terrorists who are bringing explosives up into Europe through the Black Sea. And uh, so there's uh, some, you know, some recon at uh, one of the ports. They're in a couple of different cities. Yeah. So, so these guys, so, so uh, Kyle and Wade stay together, right? Yes. So, uh, so I, is that, is that normal? Like does one, I, I have no idea. Like in, in the U S military, do you keep a spotter team together? Is it that they learn to work with each other? Yeah, typically. So, I mean, you know, two sets of eyes, they can switch off with uh brief breaks. Uh, and they, if, uh, you know, you have a narrow field of view through a scope. So once you're on a scope, having somebody else to one, keep an eye out around you for potential threats and to see what may be coming into view, going out of you, et cetera. Yeah. And, and, and they've got to be able to gauge the distance. The you know, hmm. you know they're, they're also qualified as a shooter. It's just, you know, one will do the shooting and one will do the spotting. So they could trade off if guys, they can. It uh, depends on, it depends in part on how, specific the weapon is to the shooter you know if, if, if everything is mechanically correct you can usually just swap off um but then everybody's got a slightly different stance um the scope the stock everything may be adjusted for one shooter rather than the other mm -hmm. so and is it and is it common uh for a, a shooter and a spotter to sort of be assigned for extended periods together is that um, I mean, typically they they stick together during uh, whatever operation or deployment, as far as I know. Okay. And again, this isn't something I've personally done. This was all based on research. But, sure. Uh, sure. And but yeah, you, if you got two people who work well together, you stay together because you know you get better results that way. Yeah. So it should. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it should work that way. Um, the the other the other end of this is what's called a designated marksman, mm -hmm. who's a single shooter who's assigned to a unit and their job is just to engage threats at a, at a greater distance than is typically common with, uh, you know, carbines and uh, other small arms. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. So, uh, yeah. So that's a different setup though, right? That's, mm -hmm. right. That, that's never this, uh, this story. So these, so these guys, so it's still global war on terror, but it's, Hey, mm -hmm. look, the threat is coming closer to home, home being, mm -hmm. Europe anyway and this is not any part of the war zone <laughs> yes oh Paper. right very good yeah. so you have yeah. things like domestic uh civic police yes uh or uh european mm -hmm. civilian populations to worry about yep yeah they're trying for uh urban shot with a, with a suppressed uh carbine yeah 
So, uh, okay, so book one, we're going after a senior, we think we're going after a senior Al-Qaeda guy who, I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the opening scene, we see he's a pretty bad guy. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, book two is, uh, what's, what's the threat then? What's um, the terrorist smuggling explosives in for, uh, for Europe. You remember there was a, it was, uh, it was, it was, this was before, I think this was before the train bombing in uh, Spain. And of course, back during the Cold War, uh, various of the uh, communist groups would blow up uh, discos, bars, etc. in Germany. Mm -hmm. So I was running that as a scenario that uh, AQ and Associates were going to start trying to expand their footprint. Yep. Um, uh, excellent. So, what kind of uh, so so uh, Kyle and Wade? What kind of uh, what kind of challenges they run into then in this very different environment? Well, the Romanians officially don't know they're there. Um. <laughs> uh, are they part of the coalition, Romania? I don't remember. I don't remember if they were or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they're a convenient yeah. they're a convenient way to get to other countries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as we're as uh, currently, they're uh, very concerned about because uh, between them and Ukraine is Moldova, which is not large. Yeah, they're, they're they've been uh, offering some support because they're a little concerned about uh, having Russia that close to them again. <clears throat> yeah. In all of this, it's Russia again for a lot of these countries. Yeah, uh, but but from there, you know, you're into. It, it's really not that far from Poland, the Czech Republic, Germany. Yep. Uh, and you can bring stuff in on ships into smaller ports and either, or even large ones, you know, there's a variety of ways of smuggling stuff through, either disguise it as something else, have so much stuff that they don't want to inspect everything and just check a couple. Yeah. You know, Bribe somebody, <clears throat> land something at night in a in yeah a, in a small boat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so that's the Black Sea, right? The Black Sea, yes, Black mm -hmm. Sea. There, so they're bringing in stuff from Turkey or somewhere, right? Um, uh, interesting. Okay. Iran, and although Iran would not necessarily be friendly to those operations, but I mean, there's all kinds of ways in and through. Yeah. Um. So, uh, okay, so, so uh, anything else you want to share about book two? Um, well, they do wind up under the castle, and uh, I, I tried to make it uh, creepier than, than vampires. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's some almost hilarity where they're uh, reconnoitering the castle, and then they're trying to leave the area. And it's daylight, and there's tourists coming about. And <laughs> there's these guys in camouflage, and, and uh, yeah, <laughs> this is the real test of your camo. You know, can you avoid being seen by the tourists? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so uh, so it's a trilogy. So, book mm -hmm. book three. Where does book three take us? What's the setup here? Um, originally, it was Yemen. I don't know anything about Yemen, and there isn't a whole lot to hide behind big chunks of Yemen. So I moved it to Indonesia because I've got uh, friends there, okay. friends from there. And there's uh, all kinds of, uh, at least at the time, there's all kinds of uh, back and forth between various groups. 
the uh, historical summary on Indonesia is that when the uh, Dutch East Indies, as it was, and uh, when, when the, the Dutch left, they told uh, uh, Jakarta, all right, you can have Aceh. Uh, they'd never gone through the formality of conquering Aceh. <laughs> it's like me saying, yeah, you can have my house, you can have my neighbor's house too. <laughs> <laughs> so there's been a, a, a up through, I think uh, it may have, I, I heard it's actually backed off a lot since that major earthquake and tsunami. Uh, but um, yeah, there was ongoing internecine warfare between uh, the Achenese and the uh, the Javanese. And of course, everybody wants the, the oil, the gas and everything else. So the only people they could find to support them were terrorists. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and some of them were really not very nice people, but some of them just wanted to be left alone and you know not have their land looted for resources. You know, just like groups a lot of places. Sure, it's complicated, right? You get yeah, mixture yeah, of like yeah nationalism or just mm. defense, but also uh, culturalism. You know, yeah, uh, and, and, yeah. Aceh has the majority of Indonesia's uh, gas and oil. Yeah, and, uh, and Jakarta was happy to take it, and we feel basically ignore them otherwise and not give them any of the benefit of this uh, yeah. which tends to offend people um but um yeah they're they're uh going after one of the uh confirmed terror groups they have local allies um who they're supposed to be supporting uh at the end of it they have uh additional u.s forces to help and uh so is and this then, kind of an, an assassinate the leader setup uh, again? Uh, what, what's the goal of the mission? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> There's a couple of different aspects. Um, they're trying to um, they're trying to rescue uh, um, someone's uh, wife and daughter who are hostage. Um, they're trying to stop a particular group, <clears throat> and uh, this is one of the sources of explosives. Uh, you know, anywhere there's. Uh, large gas or oil operations, you'll find explosives. And the, uh, the the trick about explosives is that once you use them, they're gone. So how do you account for them? So lots of stuff has been stolen from construction of mining sites for a long time. You know, you say yeah. you used 10 pounds, you used seven. Well, there's three pounds available to go somewhere else. <clears throat> sure. Uh... How do you account for what doesn't exist anymore? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, at the end, they have a, an amphibious ship. They've got um, some seals in the small boat. Um, there's a halo jump going in. Um, so their allies are fairly competent, fairly sophisticated, and uh, you know, relatively decent people. Um, so that's more like the designated marksman scenario, where there's a SEAL team they're supporting. Well, the SEALs are supporting them. The SEALs would get them out after the fact. Oh, okay. you know, if you parachute in, how do you get out? Yeah, yeah there's not really an easy way to reverse that. Um, so, and, as as you're setting these stories up and you're writing stories, like like, are you? Um, this is dangerously close to like a craft question, and like I'm not supposed to interview you about craft, but <laughs> well, we'll get close. So, are you thinking, okay, I'm going to write this where? I mean, these guys are obviously soldiers, right? They can mm -hmm. do more than just snipe. Right. Uh, uh, 
but are you by are you trying to design the uh i mean i guess i guess every mission they go in thinking that the climax of the mission is going to be and then we're going to shoot somebody from far away um typically yes yeah do you do you as the as you as the writer are you trying to set up the climaxes that way or is it or is it or do you kind of subvert that expectation send them in there so there has to be some shooting because you know they're snipers the reader's expecting some shooting so there's got to be some shooting right you know, and, no and shooting for romance plot and shooting's fun uh so <laughs> uh i was doing some pest control the other night we had something attacking the chickens again and i went out and uh, uh it's it. kind of fun going out with a uh, suppressed rifle with night vision. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. But, um, yeah, there has to be some shooting because that's, you know, it's the Chekhov's gun thing. You know. Yep. No, no. Yeah, literally, when we're showing a gun, we're showing some snipers, so there has to be some precision shooting. Yeah. Um, but there has to be more to it than just that because that gets boring very quickly. And we took the shot at the end. You know, that's... Right. Yeah. And there has to be like there's an Indiana Jones thing, right? Like it's more fun as things go wrong, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. When I was uh, researching the first one, uh, the one of the issues of the time was the limited battery life for the radios. You know, they, they can't have the radio uh, uh, on for extended periods of time, and those are encrypted, and there's various ways of encrypting, but one of them is once you're in the network, it stays encrypted. You know, there's a signal to, to track everything. To get into the network, you have to identify yourself to someone, be positively identified, and uh, and then get uh, you know, hooked in. So, yeah, um, you got a satellite, cell phone, um, of course, these days, a lot of that is a lot easier to do. 20 years makes a huge difference and we were developing technologies we went because we needed to yeah so so that's interesting so how so so how do you so okay so obviously you 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 have to plan around mm -hmm. the, the limitation of your battery life does that mean taking spare mm -hmm. batteries does that mean hey uh we have fixed contact points or right yeah uh, certain time frames for contact right a uh, limited number of batteries <clears throat> And that's all weight you have to carry, and uh, and then of right. course if you you know miss a contact, then there's other issues. Yeah. Um. The the novel well not well, novelization of the uh, incident uh, Bravo Two Zero by Andy McNabb. He was uh, British SAS. Um. They, they apparently had two radios. One was a transmitter. One was a receiver. Oh, interesting. Um. They were transmitting, not getting a response. They thought their transmitter had broken. The receiver had broken. <laughs> uh, headquarters heard what they said, but and couldn't responded. respond to them. That there's someone on the way. Well, and wow. uh, yeah, that turned into a uh, massive ball of snakes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, fantastic. Uh, yeah. Well. Uh, Okay, so what about these guys, the relationships? So, so Wade and, uh, and Kyle, um, what, how, how does that relationship go? Do, do, do you, does it evolve over time? Uh, uh, well, yeah, when they meet, I mean, they know who each other is because it's a small community. So, yeah. you know, they know who each other is. They've met now and then. Um, they get a very good bond as uh, professionals and coworkers. And by the end, they're friends. I mean, you know, they've, yeah been through a lot together and 
Yeah. <clears throat> and I, you know, a lot of the time is sitting around waiting for things to happen, which has to be, they've got to fill that time. And I, as a writer, have to fill that time. Well, well and there's like a, we're in craft here again, right? But most of the time, you don't want the novel to just constantly get more and more tense. You, you need to give right. them like a little break where they're, where they mm -hmm. sit back and drink out of the camel back for a minute and, you know. Yeah. Make some tea with the Australians in uh, yeah. in uh, Indonesia. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, uh, that's an empire thing. The Brits, the Aussies, the Kiwis are going to have tea. It's just <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, uh, cool. Well, great fun. What what else? Um, uh, I mean, you wrote these twenty years ago. I guess congratulations, first of all, they're coming out again and uh, yeah. Um, uh in a reprint but uh but what else um what else would you like to say about the books what haven't we talked about that would be interesting for readers um to so I, I i tried to uh i did what research i could on um the cultures in the area for indonesia i've got friends from that area and uh so you even getting translations and recipes and that wasn't hard uh for romania uh quite a bit of reading um talked to some people uh from that area i actually didn't know mona lisa foster at the time because she would have been great but uh, um and you know went with what i could uh pakistan i had very little to go with at the time i actually have quite a number of friends in pakistan now who mostly speak better English than uh, American college students, um, which is not that big a surprise. And, uh, but uh, I do remember asking one of the ones I knew at the time about the, uh, the tribal region. He said, oh, we, we don't go there. <laughs> so that, that's not a good place. <laughs> yeah. So that, that border region is kind of no man's land for both countries. Yeah. And that, of course, ultimately, that's where they found... Uh, uh, Osama hanging out was in Pakistan. Uh, yeah. Um, I may have actually seen some of the training for that. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I watched a, uh, I was filming with Discovery Channel in the U.S. and we were at a uh, remote military installation and there's these Navy helicopters coming in and doing touching and, touch and goes inside one of the training compounds and they told us just to not mention it not ignore you know not take photos <laughs> and a few months later that's exactly what they did to get him i'm wondering if that was the uh i hope so <laughs> <laughs> it would be cool to see that so yeah they could have just been routine training but uh i mean it's very interesting to think about the fact that the, when you wrote these novels osama bin laden was at large Mm -hmm. It's back in it. I can look at exactly. I mean, the London, the London bus bombing was kind of about this time, wasn't it? Yeah, two thousand five, two thousand six, maybe. So right, maybe like shortly afterwards, uh, the Bali uh, bombing would have uh -huh. been like two thousand three. You know, like four. yeah, all these places wound up involved. Yeah, yeah, and and like right, and you were writing it as this stuff was happening, or before in a lot of cases, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's become a kind of historical fiction, and I know you're a very, you're a very sophisticated guy around the the gear and stuff. Um, and uh, so it's sort of become historical fiction, but like it wasn't. It was very right. It was contemporary at the time. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, with the written with the limitations of contemporary equipment and and contemporary the the know, um because so I grew up in the UK and uh, we had occasional threats from the IRA. Uh, when we when we left, we had to temporarily debark the aircraft because they had um, unidentified luggage aboard, which turned out just to be luggage. But uh, you know that was just something that was in the background. And uh, you know the London bombing. And I see this press release from Al Qaeda that uh, you know. Britain is quaking from north to south, and I'm going probably not. And uh, they interviewed this uh, pensioner in London, and he says, "I was bombed by a better class of bastard sixty years ago." <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. It's like, yeah, you, you you thought a bomb was going to shake up the UK? <laughs> That's Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I so I. I worked in London for five years and I, I first mm -hmm. went there as a, like a summer intern in summer of 98. And I, I made a comment to people in the office. It seems very hard to find a trash can on the street. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's a good place to hide a bomb. So we don't. Now I think I, as I was there, that was already kind of changing a bit, but I think. Yeah. It's yeah. It actually has. Um <clears throat> Uh, when I was flying through there in 99 for Desert Fox, it was just uh, six of us from my unit and we flew in civilian clothes until we hit, um, actually until we hit Kuwait. Um, and so we're in the airport and there's a um, Middle Eastern family ahead of me with a pile of luggage, huge pile of luggage. And uh, the mother went to sit down and uh, by, I think the father took one of the kids to the bathroom and there's two or three other kids. And all of a sudden the kids left the luggage and I'm standing right behind it. And, you know, I, I just fairly clearly said, whose luggage is this? And all of a sudden they came back over and un under, you know, they were perfectly harmless, but they understood if they left their luggage abandoned, they were going to be very quickly questions. Yeah. The luggage was going to be dealt with. <laughs> right. You yeah. might lose the luggage at a minimum. Yeah. And have a lot of questions. <clears throat> you, know, yeah. you, you, you never leave a bag unattended. You never put it down. And you know, part of that is just because people will steal it. Uh, as civilized as Europe claims to be, if you put anything down unattended, it's gone. Um, yeah. 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 Yep. Absolutely. And of course, all, all of this comes into you know, writing in various parts of, about various parts of the world. Yeah, your own little experience. Yeah, well, we're talking craft here, but but yeah, little personal experiences play into everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, um, yeah, the first novel I talk about airport security, and that was some of my actual experience with airport security at that time. Um, I actually have been on the, um, in the, uh, Tube walking to the aircraft, stopped by a uh, customs and border patrol and asked for my passport. And I handed him my military ID and my orders. And the guy just kind of smirks and says, Are you carrying more than $10,000 cash today? I said, Well, sir, if I was, it wouldn't be any of your business, would it? Have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. There have been people in my unit carrying more than $10,000 in cash, depending on what we were doing. So. Yeah, of course. <laughs> in several currencies yeah. uh, uh wow fun that's better than my airport security stories mine are mostly <laughs> just infuriatingly dumb i uh 
uh, I got stopped in the in the London airport held me up Heathrow. Yeah. Notoriously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is like right after. I mean, this must have been well, not right after. This has been like spring uh, 2002 or something. Yeah. So, and uh, it was my home leave, and they they had a series of questions, and, and person said, "Did someone other than you buy your ticket for you?" And I said, "Well, yes. This is my home leave. The ticket was purchased by my employer, the largest law firm in the world." Huh. And and I had to have more questioning. And yeah. I said, Why are you questioning? Said, well, this is the kind of things terrorists do, isn't it? I said, "Really? Terrorists are terrorists are white guys going home to Utah and right. the largest law firm in the world, headquartered in London. Like that's who buys the tickets for them." <clears throat> Coming so, back from Germany once, they, you know, they, all passengers for Chicago need to have their passports out. And I start reaching for my passport. You know, you're you're fine, sir. You're fine, sir. The um, black officer with us was fine. Um, Middle Easterners and North Africans who weren't Israeli that was the ones they wanted to talk to Germany makes no bones about it you, you fit a certain profile so where are you going near Chicago Round Lake and who's in Round Lake your grandma okay and they will ask you know just some routine questions right. but to see if you can you know answer without stuttering and without uh, a blank stare right uh, yeah yeah yeah, well, interesting how some countries have gotten more. That Heathrow's uh, security was abysmal. Uh, it, was, it was horrible. <clears throat> so. Well, uh, well, fantastic. Mike, I'm very excited. Anything else you want to uh, tell readers about, about the book? Um, well, it was good to get these back in print. They'd been languishing for a while. And uh, Tony yeah. said they'd stick them out electronically and see how they did. And... Uh, all of a sudden, respectable size royalty checks showed up for just downloads. And uh, <clears throat> I was like, oh, well, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, I did fix some technical, uh, I left them in the exact setting they are, but I fixed a couple of technical errors. Uh, I actually screwed up one of my guns. <laughs> so, uh oh, <laughs> it does happen. <clears throat> and uh, a couple other minor things. So I, I, I fixed those from a technical perspective without changing any of the action flow, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Just to not have the like oh that was stupid sitting right there yeah i as yeah as i i inevitably have at least a couple of typos when i come mm -hmm. up to the the mass market edition and yeah yeah and i'll do that i, I don't want to be uh george lucas and constantly rewrite the story okay? even right. if uh it's like you know i'd write a different story now but this is what i wrote that's the story that's what it is it's you know right if yeah. i see an, an obvious glaring typo an obvious glaring misuse of a word you stuck in the wrong character yeah. name. Someone this morning pointed yes. to me, you know, this guy, in this novel of yours I'm reading, this guy's already dead. He can't be saying this. And I looked at it. Um, so when John and I wrote The Hero, I'm reading through the galley, the bound galley. And then the character <clears throat> drops his rucksack, <clears throat> takes off across the river, and then goes to inventory his rucksack. Like, oh, dear. <laughs> oh dear <laughs> good to catch you at the galleys though that's, that's right that's, a, that's an example of you caught it <laughs> yes well he still so I, I since they have a the um approach ruck and then you have a small patrol pack i wow. just moved some stuff into the patrol pack yeah and made it work that way but yeah these things happen constantly in anything you're writing um for um a long time until now the paperback is much much better edited than the hardcover mm. um it was it was a there's a lot of characters it's a complicated book and uh and uh, of course i um the the, the uh, 
in theory, when you introduce an acronym, you're supposed to have it spelled out. Mm. The military doesn't do that. We mm. all know the acronyms. No one spells them out. Um, so there's a glossary in the in the mass market. The mass market, yeah. Okay. Uh, because a lot of people will not, you know, I mean, I mean, these days, Google makes it a lot easier to figure out what some of these terms are, but that's true. Although, man, a lot of acronyms have, you know, five or 10 different, uh, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So you're looking at a list going, which one is this? Yeah. Oh, military acronym. There we are. Yeah. Uh, the one that is a gun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We alternate between acronyms and profanity. <laughs> Very efficient language. Sorry. <laughs> It's a very efficient language. Yes. Well, the the profanity is punctuation. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Between acronyms. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, uh, hey, once again, uh, the book is Target Terror, uh, out now from Bain, out now again uh, in uh, trade paperback and in ebook. Mike Williamson, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. And now we bring you Timothy Zahn's Cobra. Earth's only hope was the Cobras. The colony world's Adirondack and Silvern fell to the troughed forces almost without a struggle. Outnumbered and on the defensive, Earth made a desperate decision. It would attack the aliens not from space, but on the ground, with forces the troughs did not even suspect. Thus were created the Cobras, a guerrilla force whose weapons were surgically implanted, invisible to the unsuspecting eye, yet undeniably deadly. But power brings temptation, and not all the Cobras could be trusted to fight for Earth alone. Johnny Moreau would learn the uses and abuses of his special abilities and what it truly meant to be a Cobra. It was a somber group that gathered in Johnny's room that evening after dinner. I wonder what it's going to be like, Nofke said, sitting at the table shuffling his cards restlessly. Not easy, that's for sure, Singh sighed. We've already had minor injuries when everyone knew what he and his opponents were doing. We could very well lose someone out there. Or several someones, Halloran agreed. He was standing at the window, staring out. Past his shoulder, Johnny could see a sprinkling of lights from other parts of Freyr Complex, and further away, the lights from Farnsea, the nearest civilian town. Somehow it reminded him of his home and family, a thought that added to his gloom. They wouldn't make it dangerous enough to actually kill us, would they? Nofke asked, though his tight expression indicated he already knew the answer. Why not? Halloran retorted. Sure, they've spent a lot on us, but there's no sense letting marginal ones go on to get killed the minute they land on Adirondack. Why do you think they put off implanting our computers until after the test? To save some money where possible, Johnny grunted. Par, stop shuffling those cards. Either deal them or put them away. You know what we need? Viljo spoke up abruptly. A night out of this place. A few drinks, some music, a little conversation with real people, especially of the female sort. And how exactly do you expect to persuade Mendro to let us out for this little sortie? Deutsch snorted. Actually, I wasn't planning to ask him, Viljo said calmly. I think that qualifies as going AWOL, Halloran pointed out. There are lots of easier ways to get ourselves crusked. Nonsense. Bai said we were off duty, didn't he? Anyway, 
Has anyone ever explicitly told us we were confined to Frere Complex? There was a short silence. Well, no, now that you mention it, Halloran admitted. But, but nothing. We can sneak out of here easily enough. This place isn't even guarded as well as a regular military base would be. Come on, none of us is going to sleep well tonight anyway. We might as well have some fun. Because tomorrow we might die. No one said those words aloud, but from the shifting of feet it was clear everyone was thinking variations of them. And after another brief silence, Halloran got to his feet. Sure, why not? I'm in, Nofke nodded quickly. I hear there's good card games to be had in the pleasure centers in town. Along with lots of other stuff, Deutsch nodded. Druma? Johnny? How about it? Johnny hesitated. His brother's words about decadence and holding on to his ethics flashing through his mind. Still, Viljo was right. Nowhere in their verbal or written orders had there been anything about not leaving the complex. Come on, Johnny, Viljo said, using his first name for the first time in days. If you can't justify it as relaxation, think of it as practice infiltrating an enemy-occupied city. All right, Johnny said. After all, he wouldn't have to do anything in town he didn't feel right about. Just let me change into my other fatigues. Fridge on that, Viljo interrupted. Those look fine. Quit stalling and let's go. Druma? Oh, I guess so, Singh agreed. But only for a little while. You'll be able to leave whenever you want to, Halloran assured him. Once we're in town, everyone's on his own timetable. Well, out the window? Out and up, Viljo nodded. Lights out. Here goes. That was another installment in Timothy Zahn's Cobra. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks as always to audible.com and podcast theme composer, Ruth Judkowitz. Praise, thanks, and gratitude to Michael Z. Williamson for talking with us today. And good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. This is David F. Shirerod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy and keep reaching for the stars.